Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Glad to be here today, guys. Yeah, we're excited to all be here today. Another another beautiful day. And, um, you know, we are... Um, Excited to have you listen to us on our radio show. We're right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a uh, link to our uh, podcast, and um, I was checking one of them out the other day. We got some feedback from a client. They liked one of them and uh, had had some questions on it. So it's a good way to go back and reference um, prior shows. If you miss it, uh, try to make it easy for you. Exactly. You can stream us right off the website, too, moneymd.net, or you can link to us there, your emails. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, guys, um, you know, once again, we have a very interesting, timely show. I think, uh, you know, there's just some important topics here. And, you know, one of the first ones we're going to start off with is talking about solar power wars. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, there is a quiet war going on, particularly out west and Hawaii and places like that in, in California. Um, between the utilities and solar-powered homes, you know, people, it's gotten very affordable, and it's headed this way. Yes, so it is. So you want to stay tuned for this. This is very interesting. It's changing the whole structure of the industry, potentially. I mean, It really is, and I think it's 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 inevitable. You know, it's going to change the, the structure of, of uh, power and utility for, for individual homes anyway. And, um, you know, it's becoming very cheap. It's a way to save money, and, and, you know, you just can't stand in the way of that. So very interesting topic. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with uh, a pretty cool article from uh, from Dave Ramsey talking about um, how to eliminate your car payment. And uh, you guys have listened to his show, I'm sure, before, and, and a lot of times the answer is, you know, sell the car. Um, people ask how exactly. to get out, uh, how to get out of debt and start saving for retirement. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. There's like $866 billion in car loans uh, across America. So uh, we're going to talk about how to eliminate that permanently going forward. It's a pretty good article. Yeah, that's great. Wow. That's, that's a lot in car loans. Yeah, it is. Then we're going to take it to the uh, high school classroom and see what they're starting to do with some personal money management uh, classes and uh, curriculum that they're offering um, to our high school students and see how that could potentially affect you and I, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, so it, it teaching kids young—that's a fantastic that's right. idea. It definitely affect every listener out there. So, stay tuned to that. Yeah, that's a very important topic for for high school kids, no doubt. 
Um, so, yeah, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Guys, you know, the money doctors are here to save you money. Yes, right? we are. That's what we do. Our, our goal is to educate and teach. And so we kind of have a, a fun financial fact this this week. And um, this is um, there was actually a consumer report study that did uh, that recently was performed about the best toilet paper in America. Oh, well, that's important. I know everybody was waiting to hear about this, right? Actually, actually I'm pretty picky about my toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this. It's it's actually the Walmart exclusive. They make a white cloud, three ply, ultra soft and thick, not ultra soft and thin, but ultra soft and thick, and it's twenty five cents per hundred sheets, and uh, they got the highest score of eighty eight based on softness, strength, uh, disintegration, and tearing ease. So there you go. I like it, John. You know, not only is toilet paper important to us, we're on the cutting edge of this because my wife already shopped she at Walmart already does for not toilet surprise paper, me. and she is on top of the best toilet paper. Kathy had already done the testing. She, yeah. you know, you know that, no that doubt. disintegration factor. That's that's, that's a pretty important. important factor. There. Yeah, that's right. But. You know, the older you get, the more important soft toilet paper is. <laughs> you know, hey. I, but the best deal for your money is at Walmart, so go once again, remember that. White Cloud 3-ply Ultra Soft. Just confirms our original shopping you know, <laughs> right. uh, comparison that we did here a couple years ago. Very interesting fact. All right, like it. That leads up here to our first topic, too, and that is solar power wars, homes versus utilities. You know, this comes uh, taken from an article out of the New York Times by Diane Cardwell. Uh, here recently, and it's just very interesting because, you know, with the announcement of the home battery system by Tesla here recently, mm-hmm. um, this could be the equivalent of the, the atom bomb and the war of utility companies against solar-powered homes. In Hawaii, believe it or not, there's already 12% of homes that have solar panels. Interesting. Yeah, wow. I mean, so it is catching on big time out west. Handling the surplus power, though, is putting pressure on the state's biggest utilities, you know, and they're waging war against home generation systems because it's causing some problems for them. But there is little doubt the solar power is starting to get the upper hand in that war. Um, <clears throat> to give an example here, Mr. Alchemine, 61-year-old manager for a cable company in Hawaii, <clears throat> has wanted nothing more than to lower his six to $700 per month wow. pay, uh, that's power a, bill. That's a big bill. That's a big bill. That really gets your attention. And so he's wanted a solar system of his own. But for 18 months or so, the state's biggest utility barred him and thousands of other customers from getting a solar-powered system, citing concerns that the power generated by rooftop systems was overwhelming their ability to handle it. And only under strict orders from the state energy officials did the utility, the Hawaiian Electric Company, recently rush to approve a lengthy backlog of these solar applications, including uh, Mr. Alchemines. Yeah, you know, in the, in the latest chapter of this closely watched battle um, that's put this state at the forefront of the, the upheaval in the power business, I mean, like you mentioned, Steve, rooftop systems now sit atop 12% of the homes in Hawaii, and um, that's by far the, the highest proportion in the nation. Uh, these household panels for solar power and hot water in Hawaii um, have been blocked by the utility companies, as you mentioned. They're trying to slow it down a little bit. And uh, basically, Hawaii is a postcard for the future. And I, I was talking to you guys about this earlier. I have a friend who has a house down at uh, Edisto, and they recently put solar power 
panels on their on their house, and they're one of the few houses down there that has it. But I think the trend is going to continue to increase. It, it the payoff's pretty good, which we'll talk about here shortly. Yeah, the economics are definitely trending in favor of solar power. There's no doubt. And other states and countries, including California, Arizona, Japan, and, and Germany, are all struggling to adapt to the growing popularity of making electricity a home. You know, and that puts new pressures on an old infrastructure like circuits and power lines and cuts into the you know, electric company's revenue. Um, as a result, many utilities are trying desperately to stem this rising tide of solar by either reducing incentives, adding you know steep fees, or effectively pushing home solar companies out of the market. Um, in response, those solar companies are fighting back through regulators, lawmakers, and the courts. So the question for you and me, though, is how viable is solar power now for most people? Fortunately, the costs have come down dramatically. Just a few years ago, it would take like 12 years or more to break even on a solar system investment. <clears throat> um, and that's here in our area and, you know, particularly out, mm -hmm. out west. It would be even longer here in our area just a few years ago. Today... Though you can recoup your investment in a solar system in as little as six years, and you cited an example yeah. that was my, even less. Yeah, my uh, my friend was saying it was two to three years because there's a lot of tax credits that, that come along with it. So it's a pretty big capital yeah. outlay, but you get about half of it back in taxes the way it's structured. Yeah, this wasn't even taken into consideration the tax credits. <clears throat> the math really is a little bit complicated, but it used to cost like $6,000 per kilowatt hour of rated power. For rooftop system today, that's fallen dramatically, and it's it's less than three thousand dollars now per kilowatt of power for a rooftop installation, and the cost of utility companies uh, continue to rise. Solar costs continue to decrease. I mean, it's simply a matter of time before it makes sense for just about everyone. Everyone, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's headed that direction, you know. And at this pace, it's only a matter of time before solar is cheaper than the grid, even in northern parts of the country. It's already a no-brainer for people living out west, you know, southwest particularly. Um, so, you know, it's starting to go mainstream when you can go to Lowe's and Home Depot mm -hmm. and, you know, see solar systems there. And yeah, folks, no they're there. Yep. They're already in the big box stores. Yeah, the, the shift in the electric business is, you know, very comparable to what we saw in the telecommunications and the cable industries in recent decades, you know. So it's already remaking the relationship between power companies and the public while raising questions about how to pay for, main, uh, you know, maintenance and operating the nation's grid and handling the technical problems of solar power feedback into the system. So, you know, we, we've already seen this in one other industry, and now we're starting to, to see it again here. Yeah, yeah the economic threat, has electric companies really on edge. I mean, overall demand for electricity is softening while home solar is rapidly spreading across the country. There are now about 600,000 installed systems here in the U.S. The number is expected to reach 3.3 million in just like five years. Mm -hmm. So wow. according to, yeah, I mean, so that's a five-fold increase in just five years. That's yeah, a big it's, deal. Uh, it's definitely growing. It's catching on. Always comes back to the dollar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really does. I mean, I've even considered one for the office as a backup because mm -hmm. we have to have backup power right, right. in the office. And you think generator versus mm -hmm. solar. Well, solar actually, you know, starts to pay back, Yeah. whereas a generator doesn't. So, you know, and for an office like ours where we where we only use power 
primarily during the peak hours during the day, it makes a lot of sense. So anyway, we'll continue this discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or you can give us a call. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about solar power wars, um, homes versus utilities. You know, guys, I mean, it's amazing. And, and here on the East Coast, the Southeast, I mean, we don't really see the the, the, the trend that's going on mm-hmm. out West. But solar power is catching on in a big way because it has gotten pretty darn cheap compared to just a few number of years ago. Just a few years ago, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like it's it's it, the price has has gone in half. You know, meanwhile, um, of course, utility prices continue to go up, and now it, it's become a no-brainer for people living out west and particularly Hawaii and places like that where they have high utility prices. Mm-hmm. To, to go on change. solar power, yeah, yeah. and uh, and it's even become affordable, really, for people in the southeast. But it hasn't really caught on yet, and I think the trend is coming this way. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it, it looks obvious that you know if you can invest money and get a payback in as little as four or five years, mm-hmm. but but even six years, which is kind of the numbers they're throwing out there. Um, you know, that starts making a lot of sense. I know a lot of people around here are, are, have bought generators because of the ice storm exactly. you know, several years back. And, um, you know, like you said, that doesn't necessarily pay back. It gives you some protection. But the solar power, you know, you can sell some of that back to the utility companies. And um, that's the rub that the utility companies have is they do. they're starting to lose some revenue. And I think it's been a little unfair to the utility companies. They have to accept the power back. They mm-hmm. have to give you a pretty premium price for, I think, it's 17 cents a kilowatt. Um, hour here in the U.S., and, I mean, here in Georgia, and, um, you know, and, and then they, they have to upgrade, I mean, they have to keep up the lines and all that, and somebody that's not really, you know, using much power, they still got to maintain the line and all that kind of stuff, so I could see their point, you know, I mean, there probably does need to be some kind of charge that they could put in, you know, you know, 20 bucks a month, maybe, I don't know, fifty, even $50 a month to recoup um, some of the costs they have in this, in this process but nonetheless i mean the trend is coming this way you know edison uh electric institute the main utility group um trade group has been warning its members of the economic perils of this high level rooftop solar system since 2012 and the companies are are responding in february the saltwater project which is the largest utility in arizona approved charges that would add like 50 dollars to the typical monthly bill for new solar customers, while in Wisconsin, where rooftop solar is still relatively rare, regulators approved fees that would add about $182 a year. So that's only 30 bucks a, uh, well, not even $15 a month for the average solar customer. In Hawaii, the current battle, though, began in 2013 when the Hawaiian Electric 
started barring installations of retail solar systems in certain areas. Uh, that was an abrupt move, really a panicked one, the critics say, that made they made after the utility became alarmed by the technical and financial challenges of all of these homes suddenly making their own electricity. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Changing the business model. Um, you know, the utility wants to cut roughly in half the amount it pays customers for the solar electricity they send back to the grid. But after a study showed that with some upgrades, the system could handle much more solar than the company had assumed. So uh, the state public utility commission ordered the utility to begin installations or prove why it could not. So they're being forced to, uh, to take this on. And uh, it was, but, um, but one sign of the agency's growing impatience with what it considers utilities failure to adapt its business model to the changing market. So yeah, this is a, this is interesting battle between the solar and the utility. It really is. It's uh, it really is. It's all about the dollar, like you mentioned earlier, Gordon. It is the Hawaiian Electric, yeah, is scrambling to accede to that demand that they're having now, um, approving thousands of applications in recent weeks. They're also upgrading their circuits and their meters to better regulate the flow of electricity. Um, rooftop solar makes far more power than any other single source, according to the vice president for the energy delivery at Hawaiian Electric, but the utility can neither control nor predict that output, and that's the problem. You know, at every different moment, they have to make sure that the amount of power um, that they generate is equal to the amount of energy being used, and if they don't keep that balance in check, you know, things go get unstable very quickly. And he pointed out that you know that that the wind and solar farms, as well as the coal-fired generators, the utilities, main control room, you know, they they just have no way of regulating this power that's coming back into the system from these rooftop systems. Um, they're invisible to them. He points out, you know, because they sit behind a customer's meter and they don't have any means of directly measuring that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but for customers, those explanations are a little comfort. You know, they continue to pay the highest rates in the country, and they, they, you know, they still face an uncertain future in terms of being able to install these solar systems. Yeah, six to seven hundred dollars a month in that's uh, a Hawaii. Big, that's that's a, a big bill. That's pretty steep there. Yeah. Well, and, and it's also it's affecting the installers. Uh, who saw, you know, they they were very busy, and then they saw their growing business slow to a trickle. You know, um, they're also frustrated with the pace. Uh, for those who can't afford it, said uh, James Whitcomb, he's a chief executive uh, for one of the companies out there, he said the answer may lie in a more radical solution. Uh, avoid the utility and its grid altogether, you know, so... Uh, they're saying just do away with the cell back there. Here, yeah. just kind of keep everything self-contained. So, you know, the new home battery system, like you mentioned, Steve, that Telsa uh, just introduced, it could be a great solution uh, for making this a reality. Yeah, going off the grid, man. That's uh, That'd be a big move. Yeah, he say they've actually taken people off the grid. Um, this guy <clears throat> that uh, installs these systems in Hawaii says, you know, including a couple who got tired of waiting on Hawaiian Electric to approve their solar system. Um, So, you know, the people that have gone off, he says, express no interest in returning to utility service. Uh, The the lumbering big utilities are so used to make, taking three to uh, months to study it and then six months to do that, you know, they won't, they just don't understand that things move at the speed of business. You know, like digital photography, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So it's a shame that utility companies like Hawaiian Electric, you know, haven't been forward thinking enough, in my opinion, to 
to really take advantage and capitalize on this trend themselves. You know, if I ran Hawaiian Electric or even the Southern Company out here, I, I think we would be the chief financing and maintenance arm for home solar systems. Yeah, cause yeah. It's coming. I mean, why not just make money off of it and get on board and, and, you know, shift your business model? People need power. It's just where is it going to come from? And they're going to go to the cheapest source. So, you know, if that's solar power, they better get on board. I mean, I think the moral of the story for us, though, is keep an eye on solar systems, you know, for your home. It's going to be a way to save big money in the future. I, I think it's coming. We, we see it moving this way. Yeah, I've got uh, a contact that I'm talking with actually about um, retrofitting our house. I don't know if our house is situated the right way, so they actually can give you a, a free estimate. They look at your address. Um, they they want to see uh, a picture of your, your roof line, so you can mm-hmm. text that to them, and they'll give you a, a feasibility study, right. you know, pretty quickly. So. Wow, pretty uh, cool. Real quick, I think it'll be very interesting, too, to see how uh, political policies affect mm-hmm. this as well in the future. It will. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, no doubt utility companies will be, be pushing hard to, uh, you know, keep their share of the pie. <laughs> so very interesting stuff. Okay, and that leads us up here, though, to the question of the week. And this question comes from a small business owner, uh, 10 employees. They want to set up a retirement plan as an employee benefit. And, and what are the options? And I'll mention the options, and then I'll let you guys kind of jump in. One of them is a 401K, probably not applicable uh, to a small uh, company. There's a lot of administration costs associated with it. Um, but that is one option. The other two options are uh, a SEP and also a SIMPLE. So I'll let you guys kind of talk to um kind of what those are and pros and cons. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's there's two, like you said, the SEP and the SIMPLE. Uh, the SEP plan is a company contribution plan where the company makes the contribution. So if you have a lot of employees, like 10 employees in this example or this question, you know, it's a little bit harder because you have to make a contribution for all your employees. Mm-hmm. And so That's the right. owner does not necessarily get to put in a higher percentage or more money, even though he may want to. You know, the person making more money can't put in more money. So it may if they if they put in twenty five percent of their pay, they have to do it for everyone. Yeah, for everyone, so it could be a very expensive option. Very expensive option, or, or unpopular if you lower their pay. Mm-hmm. You know, to yeah. accommodate that. So uh, a simple IRA, though, on the other hand, has the employee match, the employer match, which is three percent. Mm-hmm. So that's flat across the board. But then the employees get to put in. Up to I believe fourteen thousand is it? Is it's, that's it's about twelve, twelve five up to fifty. Um, if you're over fifty, yeah, if and you're over fifty, it's like fifteen. Yeah, okay. So. I think, yeah. So anyway, so it's a I think level. it's fourteen five. <laughs> you're over fifty. So I think it was a twenty. It was a two thousand dollar catch up in there. Um, so yeah, that's more reasonable because then it's that elective contribution that each employee gets to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great plan. Both of these have no administration costs whatsoever. They're just a government form you fill out. Um, so these are two great plans for individual employers that, that don't want a complicated plan. They just want something simple that they could get money in and, and, and a benefit for the employees. So sure, sure. yeah, it's a great question of the week. And for most small businesses, that seems to be the most feasible. Yeah, that's right. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call. Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back with 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are um, continuing our discussion here with a new topic, and that is how to eliminate your car payment and save for retirement. Yeah, I think you could probably figure out who uh, was the author of this article. Yeah, that sounds like a Dave Ramsey kind of kind yeah. of thing. And you know, we talk about this a lot. I mean, yeah, we do. You know, we're big proponents of never having a car payment or only having it once. Be done with it. Yeah, that's right. You know, if you listen to Dave on the radio, he takes uh, uh, callers and goes through their situation. And a lot of times, it comes down to you have a truck payment for how much? <laughs> Sell the truck. Yeah. Sell the truck. Yeah, I mean, driving your retirement, as he likes to say. Yeah, exactly. And so, you guys, if you look at recent retirement studies, and if they're true, day-to-day expenses are keeping at least half of all American workers for saving for retirement. I mean, it's it's easy to believe that stat when you consider that as a nation, we owe about $866 billion in car loans. That is a huge number. It's almost a trillion dollars. That wow. is an amazing figure. I mean, that's just, it's overwhelming. Um so what would happen to America's retirement outlook if we got rid of the car payments? I mean, is that goal, you know, even possible? I don't know. I mean, it's a great question. It would be nice. It wouldn't <clears> be, would be great for the car companies, but it would be nice for the consumers. <laughs> I know that. More than 8 in 10 new cars are purchased with borrowed money, and the average new car loan is about $28,000 and has a payment of about $482 a month, and that's at about 4.5% interest. And Long gone are the, the uh, loan terms of three years or less. The average new car loan is 66 months. I mean, that's five and a half years of payments. That's, that's amazing. Cr- that's wow. crazy. And there's a lot of them, um, loans that are going six and seven years, and that's exploded by like 24% in the last couple of years. So people are financing these vehicles. As one of the reasons is that some of the vehicles cost as much as a small house, Yeah, you I know, mean, and they can't afford the payment. Yeah, seven-year mortgage on your on your car is insane. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. That's just insane. Yeah, I mean, it, put, take a moment, put yourself in the shoes of the average car buyer. In the best-case scenario, at the end of six six months, you will have paid maybe thirty-two thousand to and have a car that's now worth maybe twelve thousand mm-hmm. dollars. If you opt for the seven-year option, you're out another thousand dollars, and your car's worth even less. So. Yeah, you gotta you gotta break that cycle, and we've said before you gotta get ahead of it one time. That's mm-hmm. all it takes, one time, yep. and then stay ahead. Stay of it. ahead. Have you heard the figure of how much a car depreciates immediately when you drive it off the lot? I mean, I know it's thousands of dollars, but up to sixteen percent, really, immediately, right yeah. time you drive it off the lot. Yeah, it's crazy. Dave, Dave yeah. said you'd have a lot more fun if you bought a used car and then threw hundred dollar bills out on the highway and. <laughs> <laughs> see the reaction you get. So I love it. I yeah, love, I do I love too. That. Uh, you know, human nature being what it is, um, most people aren't impressed with your ride. Um, you know, after many many years, so you go out and you buy another car and you start the process all over again. And you know, it's a cycle. Um, so this never-ending cycle means you're permanently dedicating a chunk of your income to car payments. But it's not just the five hundred dollars a month in car payments that's eating away at you. It's the fact that that you know by sending that money to the bank, you can't build it up you know, for retirement. It's not working for you, and that's a concern. I mean, like we talked about, most, many uh, you know, Americans don't have retirement because they're, they have these payments. Yeah, I have to say, though, I was impressed to see you in an orange car the other day, John. An orange car, yes. Yes, that was pretty impressive. I know it was a loner, but hey, you in an orange car, orange you know. Car? It, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't fit my... 
the yeah, persona, yeah, persona, your yeah. persona. No, not quite. But uh, but I will say your maroon vehicle looks really good on a Clemson uh, Tiger uh, fan. That would be ruby red to you, John. Wow, <laughs> thanks. I see both of you guys losing your Gamecock card and your Tiger card. Yeah, there, man. Right. <laughs> wow. This, this way. You're going to see him in an orange car again here soon. <laughs> That's what he's going to buy you for your 10-year anniversary here, here at Richard Johnson. There you go. You know, but getting, getting back to, you know, looking at the retirement piece of this, you know, simply put, if, if you didn't have a car payment and instead invested that $500 a month in, say, your 401k or Roth IRA, you could you could retire literally with more than a million dollars, you know, and that would certainly go a long ways toward closing, you know, on that $4 trillion gap that Americans have currently, you know, right now. Yeah. For retirement. That's huge. Yeah. And it depends on where you're starting. Dave's probably saying you start at age 20 or 25 and it's using a, probably a pretty high you know interest rate. So whether it's a million or 500,000, it's a big number if you can start paying yourself. And the good news is, you can stop the car buying cycle and save, um, you know, start saving for retirement. The key is it's going to take some sacrifice and a lot of discipline, but it's worth worth it all to change your future. You know, when we're talking especially with younger couples, that's one thing that I, I asked them. I said, who would you rather pay? Would you rather pay the bank or the dealership interest on your money, or would you rather pay yourself? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you kind of get this blank look real quick, and then they it, it's kind of like it hits them. Yeah, that's right. It kind of sinks in a little bit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So here's here's the system. Here's what Dave's talking about. Let's say you st- you start with the car you're driving now. Let's say it's worth $12,000. Instead of taking out another loan to buy a new car, stick with this car a little bit longer. Save that $500 uh, a month car payment, and in less than two years, you know, 20 months or so, you'll have about $10,000 cash plus your trade-in to buy a nicer, newer car without a loan. So you, you got to sacrifice a little bit. It takes a little bit more time, but you know, you have no payments. Exactly. And then begin investing that $500 per month car payment into an investment account, um, you know, from your your retirement account um, or some kind of IRA. Roth IRA is kind of our favorite, uh, you know, but, but then it, when you do it in this case, though, you do it to replace the car, right? So you're doing it not in a retirement account. And then you keep cont- contributing that $500 to the account for 46 months in the same amount of time that it would have taken you to pay off the car loan, you could have nearly $22,000 plus your trade-in value of your car, and then you're there. I mean, mm-hmm. now you have it. You just have to keep it going. Yeah, that's right. And by now, you've, you've learned how awesome saving money can be. If you're doing that for a couple of years, you don't mind driving the current car a little bit longer while your car replacement fund grows, but you do stop contributing to it so you can start building your retirement fund instead. And in three years, you know, without any additional money, you could have, you know, close to $29,000 plus your trade-in um, for a new car. So the process continues to build. And, of course, you don't have to use all that to, to find the, the next uh, great used car, but you should have some money left over potentially to fund the retirement. So, again, you know, this process takes some time. It takes some sacrifice um, to, to make happen, but you can do it. Absolutely. You know, by, by following this plan and staying conservative with your vehicle purchases, you get rid of the car payment forever. You know, you, you, you literally rewrite the script here. Uh, and then by investing your $500 car payment, like in a, a well-diversified portfolio of, say, mutual funds, you can then you can begin working on, you know, your nest egg for retirement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You know, if you have questions on this, obviously Dave is a uh, is a good resource 
um, to uh, to listen to. He's got a lot of great opinions. He has um, podcasts. He's actually on, on the radio here in this area um, every night uh, from 7 to 10, so you can listen. Obviously, you could give us a call. The Money Doctors will be more than happy to sit down with you and kind of help, you know, look at your situation, figure out a plan going forward. Um, it, it really boils down to, to sacrificing a little bit. What we find is um, these new cars don't bring as much peace as emergency funds and retirement savings. That's what it boils down to. Even the orange cars don't bring that much peace. I, I don't know. I, I like the orange ones, John. That, <laughs> that that burnt orange when you're driving, that, that thing is sweet. It's um, it's burnt, that's for sure. You know, it's uh, But it's not worth a car payment, though. You know, that's you right. need to be able to pay cash. And, and I don't have anything against folks buying luxury cars that are expensive if they can afford to pay cash for them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can afford to pay cash for it, knock yourself out. If you're and if you have retirement and college and all that stuff taken care of, that's the key. You don't want to do that stuff. You don't want to. You don't want to be driving your retirement or your kids' college. Mm-hmm. Okay, so buy used. If you're going to buy new, you need to have everything else taken care of. I mean, you're at the wealth end of your uh, of your your career, right. your cycle. Right. Right. Okay. You know, it's like the guy that called Dave and asked him about buying the new Harley, mm-hmm. and Dave was ready to pounce, and he finally asked him, "How much do you make?" He said, six hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year." He said, "Buy the Harley." Yeah, you know, so. dude, buy the Harley. Buy yeah, the Harley. <laughs> you can afford it. I mean, by all means, um, but don't make a car payment. That's the point here. You know, if you, you just get ahead of it once and stick to it, we've talked about it before, and just keep putting the money away that you would have made for a car payment. Not only will you have enough money to buy a new car, you'll have money left over to put to retirement. And as Dave mentions here in this article, you know, I mean, you can build that retirement up to a million dollars. Yeah, start um, start focusing it, on the future a little bit. It's very doable, you know, and then you need to you start with a Roth IRA, um, you know, beyond getting your match and your retirement plan, you yeah. know, and then proceed from there. We've talked about this many times. Yes, we have. Yeah, great topic. Okay, that leads up to our break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back at the Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are continuing our discussion here um, and moving on with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription has to do with money. Go figure. Hey, go figure. The money doctors That's are talking right. about money. Yeah, go figure. So um, here it is. Think money. Um, what I mean by that is is when you're out buying stuff like toilet paper, we know where to go now. Go to Walmart and buy ultra soft and thick toilet paper. Three ply. There you go. Three ply. That's right. Yep. And so buy all your other groceries there while you're at it. That's right. That's right. All is another good place to to shop. Uh, drink water when dining out. Share entrees. Um, don't be as obsessive. I mean, we're not talking about being obsessive uh, compulsive here. But if you're thinking about money, ways to reduce um, your cost as you go through your budget. 
Um, like I talked to some people and they haven't um, maybe repriced their insurance recently. So maybe that's something you should do or consolidate your insurance. So um, there's different ways to save money, but just think about it. Make it a part of your process as you go and evaluate. And it's, it's a mindset, just like you're saying. It, it's a mindset that you have that every time you make a purchase, you know, you think about the financial implications. You think about, you know, is this a good value? Is this something I need? Is this on my list? Is mm-hmm. this something I could delay? Is this is there a cheaper way to, to solve this need? Um, it's just a mindset that you go through. Yeah. You know, and, is it in our budget? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Is it more important than funding our emergency fund or paying off debt or funding retirement? Things right. like that. I mean, it is a mindset. Exactly right. So <clears throat> great prescription of the week. Okay. That leads up to our last topic here, and that is your tax dollars inside a high school classroom. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a great topic for young people. You know, I mean, what? I don't know. I don't know why every high school doesn't require that. Well, you know, I, I totally agree. It, it should be mandatory because, remember, just like you just said, John, Every decision that we make has some kind of financial implication. Right. I mean, I can't hardly think of one mm-hmm. that doesn't have some type of financial implication tied to it. Um, but, you know, several shows ago, we devoted a segment to how to speak to your kids about money. Uh, that was a great discussion that we really focused on uh, how we as parents and grandparents might engage our youngsters about their personal money management. Well, today we're going to take a look uh, just a, a quick look at how our education system is now considering engaging students and why that's important to every listener out there. You know, it, it's very important that our, our students are well-educated in personal money management because that literally affects the community. That affects our entire economy. That affects all of us. Uh, fortunately, um, when I was in high school, I had an economics class, um, and it was offered to all juniors and seniors which included personal finance, and I also had another one um, in college as well. Was that economics class required, or was it something you just I think chose? it was an elective. <clears throat> okay. It, it was an elective, and, um, you know, it, at the time, it it was very dry, you know, in the presentation, lots of facts and figures, and, you know, it really bored me to tears at times, mm-hmm. but I, I had some great takeaways uh, from there, and, you know, by the time I graduated, I knew that it was crucial to have a budget, and I understood interest rates well enough to know that I should never uh, never carry a balance on my credit card, and better yet, you know, stay away from them altogether. Fortunately, my experience isn't unique. More schools are now starting to make financial literacy part of their curriculum, and this will be good for all of us, like we said, you know, the working class and, and everyone, uh, including retirees. Yeah, when I was coming up, um, we didn't have finance, but we had home economics, what they called it, in <clears> middle school. But it didn't have anything to do with economics. It was like sewing. It was washing clothes. I mean, it was all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's interesting. I learned how to sew, but I really didn't learn how to balance well, a checkbook. We, we had home ec as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it was actually a separate. Did y'all have calculators at that point, or were there still slide rules? Oh, rules? thanks, John. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> Just asking. Well, I mean. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question, actually, because <laughs> we old. had calculators, but we did not have computers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not not in the school anyway. Uh, yeah, according to the Council on Economic Education's annual survey of states, 17 states in the U.S. now require that students at public high schools take a personal finance class before they graduate. Um, economics, civics courses that cover personal finance do count, Gordon. So yours would have worked. 
Um, you know, and that's that, that that's really great because, I mean, less than 20 years ago, personal finance education was only mandatory in one state, and mm-hmm. that was Illinois. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we can uh, attribute the lack of personal finance education to part of our economic downturn, says Susan uh, Sharkey, who is the, the senior director of the high school financial planning program. She says the nationwide increase in consumer debt and student loan debt is also a concern, and so yeah, no I doubt. think this is great. They're starting to include some of this. The stuff. average student loan debt coming out of college is like thirty grand. It's crazy, you know. You know? And I mean, yeah, young people do grow up. So <clears throat> if you teach them while they're young, mm-hmm. I remember when I was in college, um, I had an engineering economics class where the professor talked about personal finance and the power of compounding interest. Hmm. It made an impact on me. It changed me really forever once my eyes were kind of open to what you could do with yeah. investing and compounding that over time. Interesting. That's fantastic. As a response to the growing demand for financial literacy education, um, this national organization developed a curriculum that gives it to for free to the schools, which is great. Teachers who want to introduce personal finance into the classroom but don't know where to start, they receive workbooks and materials uh, lesson plans and so forth. Um, there's some other organizations like the National Financial Educators Council and Council for, Na- uh, for Financial Education. Uh, they've done the same thing, but they charge for some of the resources. Um, Dave Ramsey has something called Foundations um, for High Schools, and that does um, cost money. And actually, uh, we decided as a as an organization uh, a couple years ago to to sponsor one of the local high schools and put that in there. And They've gone from two classes to four classes. It's so popular. Wow. And they have unlimited, the, the sponsorship that we did with the Ramsey organization, they have unlimited um, uses online as well. So we're you know impacting some local communities and um, some local kids. So it's a great program. It sounds like a great investment, too, back into the community, you know, as a firm and as, right. as a group of uh, really reinvesting yep. back uh, into the education there. You know, that's, that's great. And now some of the demand is even coming from our students, like in Rhode Island, a group of high school students, uh, they, they've been campaigning to make financial literacy a graduate requirement, so a prerequisite here. You know, student uh, Charlotte Palmer, 17, said, no matter what you want to do in life, it all comes down to personal finances. So, you know, that's uh, it's quite a statement there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, one of the main challenges schools hoping to introduce personal finance in the curriculum's face is that only 20% of teachers feel really comfortable leading a personal finance class, according to a study by the NEFE. And finding qualified teachers in a room um, with room in their schedules to teach it is also a problem, they point out. You know, they said they see a lot of instructors who know it's important, but they don't feel confident enough to teach it. And that's really a shame because that's that, that should be one of the major mm-hmm. things coming yeah. out of our institutions, our, our universities, um, for education is how to teach students in finance. Yeah, that, that, that's right, Steve. Uh, many of them said that they feel like it's important, but only 20% of them believe that they could competently teach it in their class. You, you know why? They don't oh, understand it. Well, that, yeah, they're, I mean, exactly they're dealing with right. struggles themselves. Yeah. And we see that. I mean, we see that from our... Uh, you know, just sitting down with people, sure, you sure. know, it's, the average person doesn't understand a lot of the basic stuff. Well, that's what, yeah, you know, what we were just talking about, you know, while those numbers may seem low, teaching financial literacy can be challenging, especially to a diverse group of students, too. You know, you have to kind of take that in consideration that not every child, not every student in that classroom is actually on the same level. 
they're going to be dealing with different challenges at home, uh, you know, and they're, they're likely to have different needs from the middle class student whose main concern is how to pay for college. And then you have a, you know, a, a lower socioeconomic student who may just be wondering how they're going to eat their next meal. You know, so the, there's definitely there, there's no one size fits all. Yeah, definitely. You have to have age appropriate material. Um, you know, 17 year olds going into college may be a little bit different than uh, than younger students as well. But Steve, I think there's some some pretty interesting stats about the the literacy of high yeah, school students. That's right. I mean, it boils down to what kind of difference can we make? And there was a recent study um, uh, that found that high school seniors who had taken a personal finance class were more likely to save money, 93% compared to 84% who hadn't taken the class. To have a budget was 60% compared to only 46% um, to invest. It was almost double, 32% compared to only 17%. So, I mean, there's no doubt this creates a, a lot better foundation for our overall economy and for for individuals out there and young adults who, who grow up and, you know, have kids of their own. Um, it just creates the kind of foundation that you have to have in in a healthy, financially sound household. So I think it's a great skill. It really is. Yeah, and for most of them, unlike the finer points of, say, chemistry or pre-calculus, it's safe to say that this knowledge uh, they'll be using for the rest of their lives. Yeah, that's right. Some yeah. form or fashion. And so the moral of the story, I think, for, t- for parents out there, you know, if you don't get it in high school, enroll them in a, a financial peace university mm-hmm. class mm-hmm. or or you know at least buy them a book. I mean, teach it themselves. Teach it to them yourselves. Yep. Model um, they have to have to get it. You know, it's just critical. They have to get finances before they get out of college, no doubt. All right, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can email us your questions there. You can pick up our podcast. Um, you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. See.